You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Well, if you would uh, please open up your Bibles this morning. We are going to be looking again, uh, finishing up this three-message uh, series that we've been on. We're going to be preaching about living the truth today. And if you would, I'd like you to turn over to the book of 1 John chapter uh, 3. So not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. They're a little bit closer to the book of Revelation. Both are written by John the Beloved or John the Apostle. Uh, but 1 John here, uh, these are called the Epistles of John. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18. And I want to read verse 19 as well. 1 John 3, 18 and 19, the Bible says, My little children, and he refers to little children, but he was referring to us, all of us, who are God's children. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Now that's not to say that we ought not say that we love one another. But the point that he's trying to make is this. We need to love in deed and in truth. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Uh, And uh, my wife often reminds me of those verses. Uh, If you love me, uh, it's one thing to say that you love someone, but how do you show someone that you love? Don't just love in word and deed. And uh, and that's going to be our text today, but I want to back up and in the way of introduction, quickly uh, remind you of the, the, the topic of the series that we've been on recently. This has been a part of a greater series about world view, about world view. Your world view is very important. And worldview, what, what is a worldview? It's the way you view the world. Amen. It's one of those words uh, that, 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 that the word itself kind of tells you what it is. It's the way that you view the world. And so whether you realize it or not, whether you can articulate it or not, you have a worldview today. Uh, many of us perhaps in here today have some kind of morphed worldviews. We have some, we, we may borrow some things. I believe we do in the, in the Christian world today often borrow from some of the non-biblical worldviews and bring them into our Christian worldview. But there's a biblical worldview which is just to say to view the world as God sees it. So this, this series that I've been on, Transformed by the Truth, has been a just a part of the larger message about world view. See, as Christians, we are not to hide away in our churches as all the world around us is going to hell. But as God's people in this world, Jesus said we are to be salt and we are to be light, which means that we are to engage our culture which means that we are to be active in our culture, and which means we are to take a stand for the truth within our generation, make a difference. Now, in order to do this, however, we need to be confident in our position. How can you engage? How can you be active? How can you take a stand if you are not 
uh, confident in what you believe. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Listen to this, child of God. This, this applies to you. And be ready always. All right? So what do you need to always be ready to do? Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. And I like this next word, asketh you a reason. A reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. A fear of God there. So as God's people, we should always be ready to give an answer, which is where we get the word uh, apologetics from. It's apologia, which just simply means to have an answer. You know, folks, honestly, the questions that are in the world today, I think there's a lot of good and exciting questions. I, I think about, you know, we, a lot of times we talk about worldview. We think about the next generation to come, the younger generation coming up behind us. And the questions that are being asked are exciting questions. They're good questions. And they're questions that we can have an answer to. Questions like, for instance, uh, why am I here? This is a question that everybody has to one extent or the other. Why am I here? How did we get here? What are our origins? And what is my purpose and my destiny? Where am I going to end up at? These are questions everybody has. And folks, the good and exciting part about that is we've got good answers for that. We've got good, solid, biblical answers for that. And the cool thing is what you can learn and what you can discover if you will just make an effort is you'll find out that the Word of God, that science, good sound psychology, I mean, on across the board, these things are these things in the Bible do not contradict. So there, there are knowable facts that you can have to help you and aid you to stand for the truth and answer the questions. Now, I want to go back to the young people for just a moment, and I'll go back to some of these teens. Are any of you guys or any of you girls in sports or been in sports? All right, so we're coming up on the, the wrestling season, basketball season, and well, how, do you, how do you think you would do, Connor, if you go to your very first wrestling meet, but you have not practiced one time? All you've been doing is just practicing these, your index fingers and your thumbs, you know. And then you go from that to getting on a wrestling mat. How do you think that match is going to go? He's cocky, so he's probably going to say, I'll whoop him, amen, I'll pin him. But the fact of the matter is, you don't go from, uh, you know, not shooting, not, not dribbling a basketball, not shooting a basket uh, all year to walking into your first game and expect to do well. And the reason I'm using that as an example is young folks, as well as the old folks, but especially you young folks, you are going to have to answer these questions. I'm telling you right now, there is a game, so to speak, that you, are, you will be entering into a place that as a Christian, you will need to be able to take a stand and give a position, a reasonable position for what you believe. So here's my next question. Are you practicing? Are you learning? And as parents, are we teaching them? And by the way, parents, students alike, there's good resources that I can help put in your hands. You don't have to just know it all. I can help instruct you and then guide you towards some things to where you can begin to get a good foundation and be able to give a good answer for the things that you believe. 
because you will have to answer these questions. So everyone, again, has these questions. Biblical Christianity absolutely has the answers. The question, again, is do you know the answers? There are two things that are all too common to Christians today. One of them is ignorance. Ignorance. He says here that you may be able to give an answer to every man. There's way too many Christians that are ignorant about belief. Now, there's an interesting root word to the word ignorant, isn't there? It's the word ignore. Because it's not that we couldn't know, it's just that we don't know. We've ignored, we've not made the effort to find out and to dig. So ignorance is a big problem among many Christians. But there's something else. The Bible says we need to give an answer to every man with meekness. So there's a lot of ignorance that goes around, unfortunately, in the Christian world. But there's also a lot of arrogance. There's also a lot of arrogance. So, find, so, so you do get somebody. You do learn something. You do have the answers. And all of a sudden, you're this big Christian jerk out there that's trying to see how offensive you can be and trying to see how many people you can uh, ruffle up. And, uh, and, but the Bible doesn't say that's the point of this knowledge. It's to make a difference. We, we, so we give an answer with meekness. So we're not ignorant. We're educated. We make an effort to learn. And then what you have sometimes is you have some people that are ignorant and arrogant. So they're arrogant even though they don't really know what they're talking about. That's a deadly combination. But uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, the backdrop for the message that I'm trying to give you, to you today. Folks, we can make a difference in the 21st century. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in the, uh, in, in the state capitol building, no matter, no matter what, folks, we can make a difference in the 21st century. And, uh, but, but in order to do so, folks, man, listen, by God's grace, we, we, I believe that we can stop the tide of these opposing worldviews, the views of materialism and humanism, but we must first know the truth. And that was the first message that we preached. Know the truth, John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When we know the truth and why we believe it ourselves we can then offer to others a faith that appeals to both the heart and the mind. I said this, I believe, last week, but you do not have to, praise God, leave your brain or check your brain at the door when you come into church. You do not have to check your brain when you go to read the Word of God. Folks, we have something you can, that appeals to the mind as well as the heart. Know the truth. So number one, know the truth. Number two, be the truth. This is truth in action. This was last week's message. We preached about the mirror, the mirror of transformation. Simply, see, simply knowing what we believe and why we believe it isn't enough within itself. Now that's where we got to start. But that in and of itself is not enough. Know what we believe. Know why we believe it. But folks, the truth that we believe must also become the very core of who we really are. It's not just about knowing facts, people. It's about living a life. It's about who we are. Be the truth. 
There should not be a large gap between what you know and how you live. <laughs> there shouldn't be a large gap between what you know uh, and how you live. We should read the Bible this way. Head, heart, hands. That's what we talked about last week. We get it in our head. Do I understand this? What is this saying to me? We then get it in our hearts. We get in our head to our hearts. Okay, Lord, how, how do I compare to this? Help my life now to do this, which leads to hands. Head, heart, hands. We read the Word. We learn it. We, know, we understand what we believe, why we believe it. But then it becomes a part of how we live our lives. And the Bible says in James 1.23 that we should be doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word. And then we, uh, we closed with the real practical instruction there on how we can be transformed and how we can be the truth, so to speak. When it comes to God's Word, number one, you ready for this one? You can write these down if you want to. Be good to remember. Number one, the way we can be the truth is that we've got to read it. We've got to read it. We've got to get into the Word. And when the Bible says there in the book of James how that, that when we look into the perfect law of liberty, that word look means to gaze. It actually means to stoop down and, and, and really take a good close look. That's what the word looking there means. I mean, it means to look. That's how we're to read the Word of God. I'm all for this. I mentioned this last week. I've got the Bible on a lot when I'm around, just playing. I play the Scriptures. And I catch a lot that way. And, and, and it's a powerful thing to do. I encourage it strongly. But it, that cannot be the only way I'm in my Bible. Because reading and having it on in the background is not gazing upon it. And so we need to take some time to gaze upon it. Listen to it. Look at it. What is that saying? You come across a word you don't know? Stop. Look it up. When you're listening, when you're reading, when you come to a phrase that'll just kind of catch your attention, wait, what was that again? Go back and read it again. Look it up. Try to find some things out about it. So number one, read it. Number two, I guess I've kind of said this one already, review it. Read it, review it, and then lastly, remember it. Remember it. By the way, I want to remind the Epic kids that y'all need to be able to quote 1 John 1, 9 at Epic today. Remember it. 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says that, uh, what does it say? i got to memorize it myself. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us. How does that help us be the truth? Because guess what? When we sin, when we mess up, we've got the truth memorized that, we can, that will help us. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, that I might not sin against thee. Now, I know some of you older folks are sitting out there and saying, Oh, I can't, remember, I can't memorize Scripture anymore. That's just for the little kids. That's not true. Because I dare say you're still memorizing some things. You're still memorizing what that talking head said on TV. That I know because you've repeated it a hundred times. Right? 
Why do I remember so well what that dude said? It might have been something good. You know why we, because we, we listened to it and we said, oh, that's good. It's kind of the same principle. It's almost like we read it, then we reviewed it. We thought about that. Man, that's true. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And then what do we do? I mean, we memorize it. Do that with Scripture. Think about it. Read it. Uh, I mean, review it. Go over it again, all right? And then, so that was last week's message. And then this week's message quickly is live the truth. Truth in example. Applying the truth leads us to what the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 10. The Bible says, putting on the new man, which listen to this phrase which is renewed in knowledge. Renewed in knowledge. I've quoted this verse a couple times throughout the course of this, this, this series, how the Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So, but and then Colossians 3.10 gives us a little bit more information. How are we going to be renewed in our minds? We're renewed in knowledge. Truth. Getting the Word of God, getting the truth inside of us. And getting, so the Bible says, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created us, Colossians 3.10. Now, the first, thing, first point I have under live the truth, number one, truth demonstrated in our life. When we know the truth and, be, and, and become a representation of the truth, we are not only beginning to embrace the biblical worldview, but we are also in a position to effectively pass it on to others. Somebody said that we teach what we know, but we impart who we really are. We teach what we know, but we impart who we are. I thought another good way of saying that, is the old saying that says this, that in regards to our children, there's a bigger impact on what is caught than what is taught. There's a greater impact on our children for that which is caught versus that which is taught. So what are we doing? See, we may teach our kids one thing. Did anybody's parents ever say, don't do as I uh, do, do as I say? Have you said that as a parent? Don't admit it. No, you can admit it. That's fine. Uh, but now it's not fine. Amen. <laughs> I mean, do it. If you're going to tell your kids to do it, you do it because you can tell them whatever you want to say. I mean, I can remember, I thought it was the most, anybody else experienced this, by the way? I thought it was the most hypocritical thing in the world when I got in such trouble and when I was smoking as a kid. I'm not proud of that, Murray. I was an idiot. Don't do it. Uh... You know what, Murray? Did you know it takes a sucker to smoke? It really does. But, and I thought it was the craziest thing when my parents hit the roof. Why? Well, because they, they told me not to smoke. But my gosh, I grew up in smoke. All kinds of smoke, by the way, around me. That's how I, and then I always thought, man, what, what did they expect? What did they expect? But so kids often learn more from what is caught than what's taught. In other words, we teach what we know, we impart who we are. Knowing and being the truth, we will become a living representation. Now, you get that? The, the message I'm trying to get across to you, the bottom line is simply this. Number one, I ought to start with this. I'm preaching today to people who already know Christ as their Savior. 
Because if you've not come to Christ, if you've not repented and turned to Christ today, that's what you need to do. See, it goes back to the same principle, however. The Bible says how that we, we, there's one thing to know the truth. It's not just hearing the truth, it's obeying the truth. It does you no good if you're here today, if you say, oh yes, of course I believe Jesus died. Of course I believe Jesus rose again. Of course I believe all those things. I believe He was virgin born right down the line. Well, that's great. But do you know who else believes that? The devil believes that. It's not doing him any good, is it? Because not only is he not doing anything about it, he couldn't do anything about it, but you can. So it's one thing for you to say, oh, I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again. I believe that. But that's not the kind of belief the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about this kind of belief from your heart, a, a, a total trust, a total dependency. It's like I was, I was talking to our friend the other day, and, and the, the analogy I used with this person I was trying to lead to Christ, I used the analogy of the old farmer, the old rancher. He was out, uh, out, out riding his horse just across his property out in uh, central South Dakota and a little bit out west, and man, he, he was riding along one of these huge cut banks, I mean, just to where it fell, and it was a great drop, and there was a rattlesnake come across, his horse bucked him off, and over the edge he went, I mean, a good hundred feet down, but before he went down too far, he was able to take hold Zach on a root before he went down. And there he stood dangling, hanging on to that root. And he began to holler, which is a kind of funny thing when you're out in a place like that. Is there anybody up there? Help! Well, there's nobody for miles, he thought. Until all of a sudden he heard a voice say, yes, it's me, I'm God. And if you let go, I'll save you. Just let go of that root, and I'll save you. The rancher thinks for about a second, and then he says, Is there anybody else up there? That's kind of how we are sometimes. See, you're holding on to whatever it is you're holding on to. And you can use whatever excuse you want to use. But I'm telling you right now, you just need to let go of all that. And you need to humble your heart before God, and you just need to come to Him and say, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. I have turned my heart and my life to You. You need to experience the transforming power of the gospel. The, the Christian life is not a do-better kind of life. Them boys are laughing at me, spitting and sputtering like a Chevy. Amen? But uh, listen... The Christian life, it's not an imitation. The Christian life is a transformation. The Christian life, it starts with you hearing the gospel and realizing for the first time that the reason Jesus died is for your sins. You have sinned, haven't you? And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Acknowledging that there's a gift is one thing, but receiving that gift is something else altogether. So if you've never accepted and received the gift that He offers to you, what I'm asking you to do today, before you can deal with any of these other things I'm telling you, is to right where you are, to bow in your heart and in your head, and to say to the Lord, Dear God, I confess to you right now that I'm a sinner. I pray that you will forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. My life, be my Lord and Savior. 
Save me, Lord. Will you be willing to turn to him today? See, because the Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But you believe in your heart, and then from your heart you cry out and ask him. So the point I'm making with that also is this. Saying the words are of little value if, you're not, if you can't say it from your heart. And you, know, you may say, well, preacher, there's a lot of things I don't really understand. I've really been confused about religion, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to understand everything. You just need to understand a couple of things that I've already said to you. You're lost. You're a sinner. You're not good enough in and of yourself to get to heaven. That's why Jesus came. And be willing to humbly come to him with empty hands and a humbled heart and say, God, I don't have anything to offer you but, but my sin. And that's where you can see a true transformation. See, there's people that come to church and they'll say, oh, it feels good to come to church. And it does. But it's doing you no good if you don't get saved. I mean, you know, it's like, and being a part of a church doesn't get somebody to heaven. You must know Christ as Savior. So in order for this truth to be understood and take place in your life, you first need to have the change of what it means to be saved. And I beg you today, don't leave today. I encourage you not even to leave today. Definitely don't lay your head down tonight until you know with absolute certainty, 100% certainty, 100% certainty that you have accepted Christ as your Savior. If you haven't done that, you need to do that today. And then, for those that have done that, we can demonstrate God's truth in our life. Psalm 78 gives a good example. Psalm 78 speaks about the importance of passing down the truth to the next generation. And here's what Psalm 78 verse 4 says. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So pass it down to the next generation. Here's what he goes on to say. That the generation to come might know them. Know what? The truth. The things that God has done. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep His commandments. So that's God saying that's important that we, tr that we transfer it to the next generation, that they might know God. And you know, God's will, I, I, I've said this for years, judging from the Bible, I want, number one, I want to see my children know Christ, walking and living in the truth. More than anything, I want to see them to have a heart for God. I mean, listen, I, I, mean, I, I want them to do well in this life and to be successful in this life. But I'm telling you what, if, if, uh, I mean, if, if, if they know Christ, that's the main thing, amen? I don't care to, about too much. I care after that, but understand me, that's the main thing. Know Christ, love Christ, living for Christ. But you know what my goal is to really see? Success is when they're instilling that in their children. That's when I can maybe say, man, thank you, Lord. You've helped me have some success. When I see my kids instilling it in their kids. That's my goal. 
That's God's goal for all of us and each of us. But, but Psalm 78 also speaks about the failure. So we talk about knowing the truth, being the truth, but now living the truth. It speaks about the failure of the fathers. He says, this is what you need to do, because he goes on to say, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. This is the, the, the verse that caught me this morning. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, and they refused to walk in His law. See, it wasn't that these people did not know the truth. It's that these people refused to live the truth. It is a great step to know the truth, to be able to recite the truth. But these guys could do that much, but they didn't live the truth. See, the Bible didn't say they didn't know it. It says they were rebellious to it says they were stubborn and rebellious. You read the word stiff-necked oftentimes in the Bible to characterize that stubbornness. You ever, uh, you, ever, you ever had that, Zach, with the horse? You've ever had a stiff-necked horse? When you're trying to get that horse to do one thing, and what does he do? Mm. Stiff as that neck. Nope, I don't want to stop. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go this direction. They stiffen that neck. And they've just got, you know, they've just got that bit and you're just trying to, to the, the goal is that you just gently lead them, right? That's all it is. But those horses will get that stiff neck. And that's how God wants to lead us. He just wants to gently lead us. But if we're not careful, we'll be rebellious to the Word of God and we can be stubborn concerning the Word of God, stiffening that neck. God's trying to lead us, but we do that neck another way. And, uh, and so that's what they did. But th this, this got me. So they were rebellious and stubborn, but also they failed to appropriate the word, the, the word of God in their lives. The Bible says the children of Ephraim were armed with bows and arrows. They were a mighty army. And so here's this, here's this army marching into battle. And if you're viewing this, you are in awe seeing this great army marching into battle because you say, man, defeat looks virtually impossible. Look at them go. They're all armed. They're all men of war. Then all of a sudden you're amazed because what happens? You're amazed because you see somebody off the front line start to back up a little bit. Next thing you know, they make a full turn and start running the other way. And you're thinking to yourself, what are you doing? You have the advantage. You have the weaponry. You have the training. You have, victory is right before you. And if that does not describe every child of God ever, I don't know what does. There is not a child of God. There is not a church that that doesn't describe. Armed. Having the advantage. The victory is just right within grasp. But they turned tail and ran. And I'm telling you what, by God's grace, help us never to do that. Help us to stand in the face of whatever adversity we may have to stand in by the grace of Almighty God. But that's what they did. See, it wasn't that they didn't know the truth. It's that they failed to appropriate the truth. That's the biggest problem with a lot of people. You're not trying to be rebellious. You just had not figured out how to apply it to your life. Ask God, how can I apply this to my life? 
Get, get involved in as much good, solid teaching. Be, be, in, be in Sunday school if you can. Be in Wednesday night. I mean, man, if, if you got a question on some other scripture, ask somebody in the church that you feel like is knowledgeable. Hey, I'm reading this passage over here, and uh, i got some questions about it. Could we get together and have a little Bible study? There's a lot of people in this church, I believe, that would be willing to do that. And I would be willing to do that. I mean, in other words, to help you to appropriate because it's almost like these men were going into battle. They had, the, they had the, the bows. They had the arrows. They had it all except the know-how of how to use it. And if, if that's, Listen, that's how we are as soldiers way too many times. You are a soldier of Christ. But are you using the weaponry that God's given you? First, I'm talking about living the truth. First John chapter 3, verse 18 is where we started. Let's not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Folks, truth is to be lived, and when it is lived, it becomes an example to a lost and a dying world. So living the truth means that truth is demonstrated in our life. Also, living the truth means the truth will be demonstrated in our love. The Bible says, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That goes back to where I started about arrogance. Do not be arrogant when you're trying to share the Word of God with somebody. Have some humility about you. Be willing to hear their side, no matter how ridiculous it may be. Now, there's a time when uh, Paul and Elijah and John the Baptist and different ones mocked those around them, but it doesn't need to be an all-the-time thing. Just because somebody believes something ridiculous, maybe they... They, they're not trying to be rebellious. That's just what they were taught. That's just what they believe. We need to say, oh, that's interesting. But let me tell you something more. Let me tell you more, something more scientific, more that has more basis. Let me tell you about God who created everything or whatever the case may be. Do you remember what the, how the Samaritan viewed that man that had been beaten and robbed and on the side of the road? What was the word that characterized how that man felt? The Good Samaritan. Compassion. That's the word, people. We're to demonstrate it in our life, but we're to demonstrate it in love. And the way to remember compassion is this way. Compassion means suffering with someone. It means that we put ourselves where they're at. And not be so prideful to say, oh, I could never be where they're at. I would never be such a fool. I would never live such a lifestyle. But if conditions were different, maybe you could have. Compassion says, you know what? I'm going to have some, comp I'm going to think about this person where they are. Can I just help you out or try to help you out or help me out as well? Jesus has compassion for us. Jesus has compassion for these people. He really does. But why do we think that we're better than Jesus and so that we don't need to have compassion for him? It's ridiculous. So we need to demonstrate the truth in our life. We need to demonstrate the truth in our love. There's some, some amazing words in 1 John 4 where the Bible says about loving one another, love is of God, God is love. But it goes on to say in 1 John 4 that God's love, you want to hear a profound statement? 
God's love is perfected in us. Ain't that an amazing statement? God's love is perfected in us. That's the kind of love that we're to have toward a lost and dying world, that our lives are such a demonstration of truth, and our lives are such a demonstration of love, that His love is perfected in us, and that people see the love of Christ in our life. Love means commitment. Love means sacrifice. See, humanism teaches us, in essence, that the universe revolves around us. This is one of the things I was alluding to earlier about us having a biblical worldview, but sometimes we allow some of these other worldviews to trickle in. Humanism is one of them. The universe revolves around us, and that the greatest love is self-love. Whitney Houston was wrong. That she, uh, when she said the greatest love of it's not loving yourself. That's not the, we need to learn to, to, to accept ourselves as God does in everything. But folks, that's not the greatest love. Commitment to self. You ever say something, wish you hadn't said it? <laughs> Listen, commitment to love, true love is, uh, okay, so a self-love means a commitment to self and a sacrificing others for ourselves. That's, that's, that's what they say a true love is. That's humanism. But this is a very isolating. Here's the thing about it. In, in practice, it's a very isolating and sad way to live. You know people live in this way. They think it's all about them. And they, they, it revolves around them and their happiness. But it's a fact that people who live this way end up miserable and lonely and have so many emotional problems and are easily offended, and we can go on and on. It's not a healthy way to live. It, it, it is a fact that fulfillment and joy comes from true love, which is committing and sacrificing for the sake of others. It's a fact. You know, I think about the love of a mother. You know, sharing her body with the baby for nine months, going through the pains of birth, committing for the next 18 years of her life to raising this child. She gives and sacrifices so much. And then another baby comes along. And I don't know about you, but I, I remember when we began to have multiple children, I began to almost have this concern that, like, I have this much love, and now I'm going to have to have this much love and share it between four kids. But I found out that that's not the way it works, is it? I had this much love when Hannah was born, but I didn't have to share that much love between Hannah and Caitlin because when Caitlin was born, man, all of a sudden I had this much love. It just multiplies. Then Evan was born, and we'll pass by that. And then when Nat, no, I'm just kidding. Evan was born, it multiplied again. And when Natalie was born, it multiplied again. See, versus that self-love stuff, putting myself first, all about me, all about me. What that does, man, is it makes for a lonely, sad existence. But if I start loving and committing to somebody else, man, my love grows a little bit. Then I love and sacrifice for somebody else, my love grows a little bit more. And my joy begins to grow. And I begin to find true fulfillment in life. That's a fact, people. Uh, but, but love, demonstrated in love. I want to try to close with saying demonstrating in losing. Demonstrated in losing. <laughs> How many of you like to lose? 
I don't like to lose, but I use that word losing because truth can be demonstrated in losing. And here's the reason I say that. I told you that the, you ready kids, epic? Here it is. You got to listen now. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is that verse in the Bible? Because we sin. That's the point of the failure in truth in failure, demonstrating truth in losing. Believe it or not, part of living the truth is failing. You say, I don't want to fail. I don't either. But let me ask you this question. Do you? Do you sin? Do you come short of the glory of God? You do, and I do too. See, because if you're not careful, when a message like this is preached, Oh, you need to know the truth. Know what you believe, know why you believe. You need to live the truth. You need to be the truth. You're sitting there thinking, preacher, you don't know me. I can't retain anything. I can't get it right. I mess up over and over again. And if you're not careful, you will dismiss yourself from the instruction I'm trying to give you right now. But to do so is folly. Because if you look around you today, you look to your left, you look to your right, you look all around, you're going to see a bunch of people that, you know what, cannot do it on their own. You're going to see a bunch of people that fail. But you're not going to see failures. You know why? Because you're not a failure until you quit. Amen? See, when we fail, it's a testimony. Why? Because when we realize that we've offended and seek forgiveness, we are being we are being sensitive to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. We can be a model of a person who sincerely desires to be conformed to the image of Christ. Those around us need to see us fail and humbly seek forgiveness. I'm not encouraging you to fail. Understand that. I'm just saying that when we do sin, when we do make mistakes... We need to be honest about it. We need to admit it. And we need to seek forgiveness. See, the whole pretending to be a super saint routine isn't helping anyone and isn't glorifying God. These preachers that told me, don't ever admit that you've done anything wrong. Don't ever confess to, to coming short. Your people will think less of you. Nah, man, because what happens is when, when people come in here and we're all trying to act like a bunch of super saints and we ought to be living, and I want to be a super saint, amen? I want to be a super nakia, amen, an overcomer, amen, more than an overcomer in Christ. But the fact of the matter is we need to be able to say, you know what, I failed too. Somebody comes and says, man, I'm having trouble in this area of my life. Man, I know what it is like because I've had that trouble too, or I'm having that trouble too. Pray for me. Because you know what that does? That helps people. So if you feel like, man, there's no way I can live up to this, there isn't a way that you can live up to it in your own strength. But remember, we can do all things through Christ. And you need to say it to yourself, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can know the truth. I can be the truth. I can live the truth. You know why? Because that's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You can through Christ. But when you don't, admit it. Humble yourself before God. Truth, listen, demonstrated in losing. Truth, demonstrated in lasting. Don't give up. Amen. Let's all stand.
And we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your patience today. Living the truth, knowing the truth, being the truth, and living the truth.